0: continuing with this series on the will of man, um, which falls into the category of um, looking at man as the creation of God. And we have seen in uh, the teaching thus far that um, man has an there is an inward man and there is an outward man. Scripture does teach us that. The outward man is obviously our physical bodies. Um, And the inward man we have seen is really made up of four parts, four different parts, which is the spirit of man, the soul of man, which is the understanding, the um, conscience of man, and then the will of man. And we're dealing with the will of man in this series of teachings. And we've also looked at what the will of God is and how the will of God actually uh, ties up with the will of man because there is almost like a, a... an opposition between the two because we have stated that the will of man is free. God gives unto each of his creations a free will. Um, but nevertheless, the will of God is accomplished and his will it always prevails in the affairs of mankind. So we really wanted to um, try and understand how it is possible that we as God's creation have our own free will and yet the will of God still prevails in the affairs of mankind. And so we've been looking at various aspects of the will of God as it relates to um, our interaction with him and obviously as it relates to our walk um, with our own will, our free will that we have received from God. And so we saw one of the, the, the cornerstones that you we have to understand in order to understand this concept of the how our will and God's will um, can in fact be in sync even though, um, you know, majority of the world's their will world is completely opposite, opposite to the Lord. We saw that God knows everything and He is all knowing. He knows all of the future. Um, God never starts anything before He ends it. And so God is able to Um, predestined lies based on his foreknowledge of individuals. And we saw that in Scripture. We saw that whenever we look at the the concept that is taught in Scripture, because it's a very clear concept uh, of predestination, it is always linked to the foreknowledge of God. Translated means God knows how a person is going to react and how a person, uh, the choices that a person will make based on their free will given to them by God. And then based on God's knowledge of that individual's choices that they will make he then predestines their lives accordingly and we saw that um, although God does know everything he doesn't reveal all of his knowledge to all of his children in fact he doesn't reveal all of his knowledge to any of us Um, for you know there's just no way that we can absorb all of the knowledge of God and so He only reveals to his children certain portions of his knowledge, that which is applicable to our own lives, and that is which we need in that moment in order to uh, complete his will for our lives. But he never reveals everything to us. And so when we preach the gospel, our Lord has instructed us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Um, Now, when we do that, God knows those that we are going to preach to, who among the the people we will preach to will in fact uh, accept his word and in fact uh, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God also knows those who will reject that. Um, None of that takes God by surprise. He knows who's going to accept his son and who's going to reject his son. Nevertheless, he still... uh, um, he instructs us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature now he does guide us in these areas and we had a look at paul's ministry when paul was seeking where to go minister with his ministry team i think on the third missionary journey our second one um the holy spirit said don't go here don't go there but you can go there because the Holy Spirit knew where the gospel would be accepted and where it wouldn't be accepted and so the Holy Spirit did guide Paul to a degree um, because God knew exactly who would accept and who would, who would reject the gospel and we looked at certain uh, scriptures we saw in Acts 13:48, the scripture says now when the gentiles heard this this was Paul and his team preaching the gospel they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed and so they had already been appointed to eternal life we we also saw that uh, scripture is very plain is that right from the foundation of the world god has done everything um, none of it is stuff that god is working on there's no work in progress god has rested from his labors the bible teaches us on the seventh day God rested from all of His works, and we are laboring and, and uh, to enter into His rest. That's what we're doing currently. God has already rested from all of His works; He's accomplished everything. And so, right from the beginning of time, um, everything had been has been planned by God. The salvation um, of mankind. It's all been part of God's plan. It's never been a case of God has had to come up with um, adjustments to his plan because Lucifer fell, and so then he, God had to now sort that one out. And then Adam fell, and so now God had to sort that one out. It was never a case of that was the the, the sequence of events, and God was reacting to those events, never. Um, God was always working his will uh, to to bring it to fruition and it was his will that in this age, the age that we're currently in, and you know there's so many ages that have gone past and there's so many ages still to come, Um, but in this particular age God has predestined the church to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus and so that was the ultimate goal that God was getting to for this age. In order to get there God put all of these various steps in place and Lucifer falling was part of uh, God's plan, and Adam falling was part of God's plan. All of it was preordained and predestined by God the Father, because He is all knowing, and He is the one who has uh, uh, say the final say in the affairs of mankind. And so he, there we have it. people who were appointed to eternal life. God um, uh, brought them into the kingdom. And then we saw in Acts 16.14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And so unless the Lord opens the unbeliever's heart, that's it. They don't get to see the gospel. Um, it is only the Lord that opens our hearts to see the mysteries of, of the gospel. And even when we come into the kingdom, it is only the Lord that opens our understanding to His Word. Unless the Lord gives us understanding of His Word, we're completely clueless with regards to His Word. It's a closed book to us. Um, in Christ, we understand the veil has been removed, but it's still Christ who has to open our understanding to his scriptures. You, you recall when our Lord uh, appeared to the disciples that night, uh, the first night, uh, after he was raised from the dead, the scripture said that Jesus opened their understanding to the scriptures. And they could then, for the very first time, understand certain aspects, not all of it, um, because the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. It's a progression that God takes us through. Because we can't grasp everything straight up front. We have to grow in the things of the Lord, and so there we have uh, how um, saints are brought into the kingdom. They're preordained to be uh, believers, and God then uh, allows them to see the truth of the gospel when He, when the time comes. Uh, Paul, in the book of Galatia, in his writing to the churches in Galatia, he said, "When it pleased God to reveal His Son in me." Um, he, uh, God then brought Paul into the kingdom so Paul was brought into the kingdom of God at the exact time that it pleased God okay Paul now's your time to come into the kingdom of God and, uh, and so God saved Paul at that time not before it wasn't his time Paul says when it pleased God to reveal his son in me um, and then he went on to say you know, basically that he was born again and you know, in the book of Revelation, there's, uh, there's a passage of scripture where there are angels um, that are waiting at the river Euphrates. Now, obviously, this is in the spirit realm. And the scripture says that those particular angels have been prepared for that year and our day and our month and hour. And that's what they're doing. They're waiting there. They've been waiting there since God created them. They've done nothing except wait there until God says, okay, now's your time. And they will then do what God has called them to do. And so that's how God, you know, he's in charge of this whole universe that he's created. He's God. And uh, I'm just so thankful that he is. And then we have uh, on the other side of the coin, uh, Peter teaching us about the fact that the unbelievers are appointed for destruction. For in 1 Peter 2, 7, 7 and 8 says, Therefore... To you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, talking about the unbelievers, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word, which is to which they also were appointed. So God appointed them to be disobedient to the word of God, because God predestines all of our lives based on his foreknowledge of us. That's how God does it. And then we saw that even once we come into the kingdom of God, um, God still predestines Allah. So, uh, you know, we, we looked at the example of salvation. Um, and then also, don't forget, we, we mentioned about the fact that God has his perfect will and he has his permissible will. And we, say, we saw in previous teachings that it is the perfect will of God that everyone be saved. The Bible says, um, for it is not the will of God that anyone should perish. And so God's perfect will... For for mankind is that everyone be saved. However, not everyone of of mankind is saved. We We understand that. Now, why is that? The reason is because the free will of man reigns supreme in this life. God will never override the free will of man. We make our own choices. But God knows what choices we're going to make. And so based on the fact that he knows his foreknowledge of us, his foreknowledge of, of the choices we will make when presented with, the, with the, the, the choice, God then predestines our lives accordingly. And so even when we come into the kingdom of God, God still predestines the lives of his saints because he understands that certain of his saints are going to be Paul's and they're going to be completely sold out for him. And he can then uh, predestine their lives to serve him completely, and you know, Paul was really a radical Christian, and he understands that there are other believers out there who are nominal Christians, and God can only expect so much from them, and so he predestines their life in uh, that manner. So he doesn't, you know, expect them to do the work of Paul, because he knows that they are just not kind of hardwired in that direction, and so God predestines their lives accordingly. And the scripture we saw was in Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Now, that beforehand was right from the foundation of the world. We're not going to go through all the scriptures again, but that's when God prepared prepared the good works that each one of us are called by him to walk in. Now, the scripture says uh, good works which we should walk in. Not that we will. So it's still up to us. God gives us the choice. He says, guys, this is what I want you to do for me while you're on the planet. And we say, God, yes, I'm going to do it. Or God, no, I've got my own agenda. Thank you very much. And then we have stepped outside of his perfect will for our lives into his. He permits us to do that because God is not a dictator. And so God never forces anybody to do anything against their will in this life. Outside of this life things change. We said that. We said that God is the one who casts into hell and no one goes into hell uh, willingly. They all rebel against being cast into hell, but by that time there's no choice. Uh, At that time, once we leave this planet, the free choice is taken away. And we are then, well the unbelievers, are subjected to eternal condemnation. Now, the free choice of the believers remains in place. So even though when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord, the the saints in heaven still have their own free choice. God does not remove that ever. It is a a part of the creation of man. For God has his own will. Remember when our Lord was uh, was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Now, this is the Son of God. I understand he came to the earth as the Son of Man, but he was called the Son of God. And look what he says. "Um, Father, not my will... But yours be done, and so there is God because Jesus and the Father are one, and they're both God and the Holy Spirit but nevertheless there was a um, not a separation it was a separation of will because God's will for Jesus was that he go to the cross and suffer you know God's wrath for the sin of mankind Jesus natural human will because he was a man. He is a man. Uh, there's one mediator between um, man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. And so Jesus is God, but he is also a man. And so his will as a man was to recoil from that which God the Father was expecting him to do. And that was the the, the, the issue that he went through in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was when he was sweating blood because of the, the absolute horror Um, The emotional distress that he was going through knowing what he was being faced with and his natural instinct, his human instinct was to withdraw from that and say, "I, I, I can't do this. Father, if there's any other way, can we find another way? I can't do what you're asking me to do. And so he says, not my will, but your will be done. So obviously the will of the father and the will of the son were not in sync at that moment. Um, because Jesus was wanting to do something else. He didn't want to do what the Father wanted him to do. Nevertheless, he then submitted, instantly, he submitted his will to the Father. For he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so, even Jesus, who is one with the Father, and has always been one with the Father, has his own free will he has that ability Um, and so God is not a dictator that's not how God operates so every creation of God in heaven today every saint every angel we've had a look at we, we, we just recap on that but every creation of God has their own free will and every saint in heaven still exercises their own free will Um, God does not force them to do anything in heaven. They do all that they do of their own free will. And that's why our Lord taught us to pray, um, Our Father in heaven, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven there is no opposition to the will of God because everyone is completely submissive of their own free will to the will of God. Um, on earth, it's not like it. Because on earth, there is the flesh, and the flesh rebels against uh, the will of God. And so that's why Lord said we should actually be praying along this line: that the will of the Father be done in our lives, even as it is in heaven. Um, translated means that we would be completely submissive to the will of God, our Father. And so, yeah, even uh, the saints today uh, in heaven still have their own free will. That's not a case of now that they are robots. Now, understand the concept being that people think, like, okay, well, that, that means nobody's going to want to rebel against God because it is a perfect environment. 100% correct. No one wants to rebel against God. But nevertheless, they still have a free will. It does never get taken away from God's creations. That is how God has created us. And then we had a look at the fact that angels have a free will. And we saw... Um, the example of Lucifer. and I'll read that scripture again. This is the the thought process that went through Lucifer's mind prior to him rebelling against God. This is while he was still um, Lucifer, the anointed cherub. He was not yet uh, Satan, uh, the fallen angel. He was still Lucifer, the anointed cherub. And look at what he thinks. Um, Isaiah fourteen verse twelve says, "How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer." God is obviously giving us an account of what Lucifer was thinking. Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, and here's all the I wills that Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so as an act of his free will, Lucifer rebelled against God. And actually tried to um, do an angelic coup, I suppose, if we want of a better word, because he tried to dethrone God. He really wanted, he actually believed he could do that. Shows you what a a powerful being he really was. And he is still a powerful being, by the way. Um, That he could that this could even enter into his consciousness that he could supply in god but nevertheless he thought that way and he did and he acted on that as an act of his free will and then we saw that the book of revelations teaches us that um, the dragon with his tail draws in Re- revelations twelve four a third of the stars to the earth and so we understand that a third of the angels Uh, followed after Lucifer in rebellion against God. They they did that as an act of their free will as well. No one forced them to rebel against God. They chose to rebel against God. And so angels most definitely have a free will. The other two-thirds of angels have never rebelled against God. Of an of an, an act of their own free will, they continue to remain submissive to the will of God and they continue to serve Him of their own free will. And then we had a look at um, even the living creatures that are on the earth, and we saw that God even creates them with their own free will. Now, that's a bit of a strange thing to get our minds around, but nevertheless, it's true. This is what uh, Scripture teaches us. And uh, we had a look at the account, which is quite a a graphic, a vivid account, really, of an an animal displaying their own free will. And uh, we looked at um, in Numbers 22, verse 28, where... Balaam the prophet uh, was uh, getting into some weird stuff and his donkey actually saved his life uh, three times. And uh, so we pick up the account. The scripture says, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, and you know, we made the comment, a lot of people look at this passage of scripture and they say, well, God even spoke through the mouth of a donkey. Not the case at all. God didn't speak here. This was the donkey speaking to Balaam. And she was saying, yeah, This is what I've been doing for you all this time. But anyway, let's just read the account quickly. It says, what have I done to you? This is the donkey speaking, that you have struck me these three times. So three times she had saved his life. You can go read the account. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I could kill you. I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, in which you have ridden, ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said no, and so you know she's saying I've served you faithfully all the time. As an act of her free will, she saved his life. As an act of her free will, um, she could, as we said, she could have just carried on going, and, and uh, the angel wouldn't have killed Balaam. But she saw the angel, and Balaam didn't, and she chose, of her own volition, to you know try and keep Balaam alive because Balaam was her master. And so that donkey, as an act of her free will, saved his life. And then our Lord spoke about the fact that a wild ox will not be willing to uh, submit to us, and that's in Job 39.9. And so we know that uh, wild creatures um, have their own will, and anybody who's tried to tame a wild animal will will testify to the fact that they have their own will, and they don't willingly submit to the will of mankind. And then we came, we we want to now touch on the fact that mankind has... we who are created in the image of God, in fact, do have our own free will as well. And, uh, you know, when Lucifer rebelled against God, it didn't take God by surprise, but that was he rebelled against God as an act of his free will. When Adam rebelled against God, he also did that as an act of his free will. Um, even though, and even though Eve was deceived into sinning against God, she still did what she did as an act of her free will. No one forced her to do what she did. She was deceived. She she, she honestly believed that uh, Satan's lie that she wouldn't die. Um, Adam was not deceived. Adam knew well. This is the price you're going to pay. You, you will. Uh, he knew he would die. He knew he knew that uh, Satan was lying on the issue. So he wasn't deceived. When remember when uh, the, the the serpent appears to Eve. He says, has God said, you, you, you can't eat of every tree in the garden? She says, no, we can. We can eat of every tree in the garden. There's just the one tree in the middle of the garden. We know how to eat. And um, he, and she said, because if we even touch the tree or look at it, we're going to surely die. And then Satan lies and he says, uh, you're not going to die. Uh, God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. So there's truth and there's the lie coming in, in that statement. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. God knew that. But God never um, imparted that information to Adam. When God spoke about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, he told Adam, don't eat it. Because when you eat that fruit, you're going to die. So that was the truth that God had had given to to Adam. The lie that Satan gave was, when you eat that fruit, you won't die. So there's the the lie and there's the truth. Adam knows that Satan is lying on the issue and God has been truthful, okay? But what Adam is hearing for the first time is that if he does eat of that fruit, he will become like God, knowing good and evil. God never said to him, God never gave him that piece of information. He gets that from Satan. So this is something new that he's hearing for the very first time. He's obviously given it second hand, he gets it through Eve, because she says, you know, this is what the guy said to me, the, the serpent. And so Adam weighs this up in his mind. He said to himself, "Okay, I didn't know this, that if I partake of that fruit, I'm going to become like God, knowing good and evil, because God hadn't told him that. So he's hearing that for the first time. So this is something new. Now he's weighing this up. Do I want this? Because I know that if I do partake of this, God's word is true, because God has said to me, I will die. And so Adam, of his own free will, makes a very um, conscious decision. He weighs up the two, and he says, "I'm actually prepared to die," because he, uh, you know, his understanding of death—I don't know—but he was prepared to die. And the death that he would have incurred would, would have been spiritual death. But anyway, he was prepared to to incur that penalty so that he could get that. Reward is not really the right term, but he, so that he could get, um, so he could become like God. He wanted to be like God. And so he was prepared to incur spiritual death so that he could become like God. So he made a, a rational decision based on his, now it's irrational to us, obviously, but in Adam's mind that was the choice that he was given and he chose to go that route. So he knew he would die, so he wasn't deceived. Eve uh, was deceived. She thought they weren't going to die because you know the serpent said we're not going to die. Um, so she thought God lied, but Adam knew God hadn't lied, and that uh, Satan was the one who was actually lying. But she wanted also to be like God, but she honestly believed that you know she wouldn't die. Adam said Adam knew they would die, but anyway, so that's what transpired. But as an act of their free will, both of them—they both made a, a choice of their own will, their own volition to rebel against God and obviously as we say God it didn't take him by surprise he knew that was what was going to happen and it was it was all part of his plan it was all what God had already intended would happen and so that's how Adam uh, and Eve uh, as an act of their free will rebelled against God we saw about Lucifer rebelling against God and becoming Satan And then just some scripture to to highlight the the, the fact that we do have these various uh, parts of man. We've been speaking about them, the inward man, uh, that is. And we mentioned the spirit of man, the conscience of man, the soul of man, which is the mind, and then the will of man. Um, And the one scripture we're looking at is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. The scripture says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ and so there we have the outward man and the inward man being categorized the body being the outward man the inward man in this case here the Scripture is revealing to us two parts to the inward man the spirit and the soul and uh You know, this is not a teaching on the the spirit and the soul of man, but the soul of man is, in fact, the mind of man. But as we said also, uh, the soul also, um, depending on the context of the scripture, can refer to the whole part, the whole of man. Um, And then there is the other part of man, which is his conscience. And the scripture we can look at there is in Acts 24, verse 16. The scripture says, This being so Paul is speaking, He says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And so Paul learned to live by his conscience, because the conscience of man, and we have a whole teaching along uh, that line about the conscience of man, is really given to man by God to um, help him to understand the difference between knowledge of good and evil. In fact, that's what it's all about. And in fact, if you go all the way back to Adam, when he partook of that fruit of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was when his conscience was opened. uh, Eyes of his conscience were opened for the very first time. And he did then at that time have knowledge of good and evil. And um, God said in uh, Genesis 3, I think it is, he said, man has become like us because they now have knowledge of good and evil. And that's why God had to remove Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden so, that they couldn't partake of the fruit of the tree of life and then love, live forever, um, that would have been a, a problem. So, God obviously took them out of the garden. And so, all men have a conscience, just to show you that everyone has a conscience, even the unbelievers. The conscience is not something that only Christians have, the conscience is part of the makeup of man. Don't forget, we're dealing with the, uh, the creation of man. This is not. Um, the born-again man being a separate type of creation to the unbeliever. No, believers and unbelievers alike have a spirit, have a soul, have a conscience and a free will. All of us have that. Um, and so the conscience of man, even amongst unbelievers, is still there. Uh, and the scripture is in John chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, you recall the account when uh, lo- the Lord was teaching in the temple we had all of those people that had set up the woman in adultery, caught in adultery, they bring her before the Lord, and they try to uh, trap the Lord and, and get him to, you know, go against the Lord Moses so that they can accuse him. Um, and so our Lord makes the, the comment, remember, uh, the, the one who's among you who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. So our Lord, yeah, he knows what the, 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 the setup is. And so he doesn't say, you know, the Lord Moses is wrong. He's not saying that. He doesn't say that at all. He said, if you guys fit the bull, you can cast the first time. And so, you know, he's kind of supporting the Lord Moses. Um, and so when he makes that statement, the Lord makes the statement. Why does he do that? Because he knows that each, they've got a conscience. He, he knows that their conscience will convict them. What he has to do is he has to let their conscience kick in. Why do I say that? Well, remember, the, 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 the actual passage deals on, on this way, that when they come and they accuse the woman in front of her, and, and, you know, there's obviously quite a heated environment, and there's obviously a lot of comments that have been made right there. Our Lord, remember, He, he kneels down. He doesn't kneel down, but He crouches down, and He begins to write on the ground. Everybody must know, what did the Lord write on the ground? I haven't got a clue. You can ask Him when you get to heaven. But nevertheless, what He does, He, he starts to doodle on the ground. Now, why does he do that? Because he's wanting everybody to quieten down. It's quite a volatile crowd that's right there. Because I mean, these people that have brought this woman in are um, are an aggressive bunch. They actually want to trap the Lord. They want to be able to get hold of him so they can stone him. Um, not only her, but they want to stone him. And so, you know, they they they're not coming quietly. They they come at like almost like a mob. And so. Our Lord needs to get everybody quiet and down. So what does he do? He goes down and he, he, he crouches down on the ground and begins to write. And so slowly but surely everybody starts, well, what's this guy doing? You know, and they're shouting the odds, shouting the odds, and he's still busy writing away. And so eventually they all are kind of focused on him. And the, 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 the noise quietens down because what is our lord wanting to do here he knows every single one of these people let's just read the scripture and i'll give you the 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 account again the scripture says then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest even to the last and jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when he was left alone he was left alone with all the other people that he was teaching it's just the that weird bunch had left but okay so let's get back to it so now lord Crouches down, begins to write in the ground. And eventually he gets them quietened down because now everybody is waiting for him to respond. And so they're all quiet and they're all watching him and they're thinking, what on earth is this guy doing? But nobody's speaking anymore. So the Lord gets the the, the environment quietened down because why? He knows these guys have got a conscience. So he knows he can deal with their conscience. So now he gets up and he looks at them. It's all quiet now. And he says, okay, the one among you who is without sin, he can cast the first stone. So what has happened is he's got them into a place where their conscience can actually be heard. Because they're, they're actually now, they're not shouting and screaming, and that. they're actually quite quiet. And now they've been presented with a, a comment that's making them think. The moment that happens, their conscience kicks in. And their conscience convicts them. He says, you can't do that because you were And you And know, we can speculate what their sin was, but nevertheless, it was their conscience that convicted them and said, you can't do this. And the Lord knew each one of them had a conscience, and so that's why he could. He didn't take a, a, a risk and hope for the best, and you know, the guys weren't going to pick up a stone. He knew that if he got it right and he could get them quiet so that their conscience could convict them, it would. And based on that, he knew that they would then um, walk away, which is what happened. So anyway, the point is, everybody's got a conscience, even the unbelievers. And then we get to um, the will of man. And so the will of man is also, um, uh, there's a lot of scripture that we can go through to, to highlight that. We'll give you a few scriptures along that line now. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the scripture says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become Children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I'm not going to get into the will of the flesh, because the flesh does kind of have its own will. It wants to sin. But man has his own will. That is a given. Nor of the will of man, but of God. And then 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And in the scripture that I've already quoted, our Lord speaking, he says in Luke twenty-two forty-two, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so very clearly, um, mankind has been given this gift by God called the free will. And we... Um, are able to exercise our free will in choosing how we're going to walk. And so when it comes to salvation, it's an act of our free will. Um, No one, when they stand before the judgment seat on that day, and don't forget there's two judgments that will take place. The saints will stand before the Lord um, at the resurrection and we will be judged by our Lord Jesus Christ, not for salvation, but for our works. Um, But at the end of the age, the unbelievers will stand before uh, the great white throne judgment and they will be judged by, in fact, the saints. We will judge them um, for all eternity. Now, not one of them will be able to say, but Lord, I didn't know. Because every single one of them will have had the opportunity in their lifetime to acknowledge God. Uh, you say that's a, a, a blanket statement. No, it's not. It's Book of Romans. You can go look it up. That's why you know, a lot of people say, "But what about the the guy who's living in the in the jungle in Amazon?s Never heard the gospel, so how can God cast him into hell for all eternity? Because he's never had opportunity to, to to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, the Bible teaches us very plainly that the guy living in the jungle knows that God exists. Every the, every single one of God's creations know that He exists. Now, the most um fervent atheist knows that God exists. They'll do whatever they can to try and disprove it. The the, the fact that God exists, nevertheless, they know God exists. And because they know God exists, they know that they can seek Him. And and He will reveal Himself to them if they do seek Him. But they choose not to. And even the the guy who's living in the jungle, in the Amazon jungle, all his life, who's never heard the gospel, he has also chosen never to seek after God. And when they stand before the judgments even that day, they will acknowledge, God, I did not choose you. I, I chose not to acknowledge you as God. And so, you know, they've chosen of their own free will the eternal destiny. And that's exactly how salvation works. But even as and then as I said, once we come into the kingdom, um God still gives us our free choice. We decide how we're going to walk in this kingdom that God has brought us into. Uh, And we do that as an act of our free will. And so we've had to look at uh, certain aspects of mankind. We've seen that there is a spirit of man, there's the, the conscience, there's the soul, and there's the will. The inward man we're talking about. With regards to the inward man, when we, get, when we come into the kingdom of God we're, and we're born again, it is our spirit, the spirit of man, that is born again, and it becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. Nothing else changes. Our conscience remains the same, our will remains the same, and um, our understanding remains the same. We are meant to renew our minds, and so our understanding should change over a period of time. And our spirits are meant to grow stronger, and so we're meant to grow spiritually. But our conscience will always remain the same. It can be, uh, our conscience gets strengthened if we listen to it. Our conscience gets weakened if we choose to ignore it. Um, the will of man remains exactly the same. For the will, somebody has said it uh, in this wise, and it's a valid statement. Your will is your decider. Yeah. So, that you, as an act of your will, you decide which way you're going to go. Remember, Adam. He weighed up what what Satan presented to him. Yeah, you he said he knew Satan was lying when he said you wouldn't die. He knew he would die, but he 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 had now this other piece of information that he could become like God, knowing good and evil, if he did this. And so he weighed the two of them, and as an act of his will, he decided I'm going that route. Uh, and so that's what he did. But it was his his choice, his will that made that decision. Now, when we get born again, our spirit is perfect and remains perfect and we're not this not a teaching on the spirit of man today but your the spirit of man is the born again spirit of man is perfect before god that's why the holy spirit can reside within our spirits when we're born again prior to that couldn't do it because god can't reside in the presence of sin and there's no sin in the spirit of the born again believer and so the spirit of the born again believer always wants to do what is pleasing to god and he will always do the perfect will of God, given the choice. Um, and so when a, a Christian gets born again, remember our conscience, and we haven't really dealt in depth on the conscience, but we, we had a look at the one aspect of when they wanted to stone the woman, the adulterous lady. Um, we, the conscience is always there, given to us by God, to tell us, this is right, this is wrong. Do this, don't do that. That's what the conscience is. like a referee. And so it blows its whistle when we're going to step out of balance. But it keeps quiet when we stay within bounds. That's how the conscience works. Um, so just a yes or no. Do this, don't do that. Okay. Um, with regards to our spirit, once we're born again, the spirit wants to do exactly the same. The spirit and the conscience now link up. They're in unison. They're working together now. So in the unbeliever, all they've got going for them really is their conscience and any uh, good stuff they've learned through their minds uh, as they've maybe been they grew up and they've been taught uh, certain principles out of the bible that they have going for them otherwise the rest i mean the spirit is dead spirit will allow them to do whatever they want to do flesh definitely wants to do whatever it wants to do Remember, we saw that there is a will of the flesh but nevertheless with, the, with us to believe now they come into the kingdom now they've got two things going for them they have their conscience going for them and their spirit is also go, uh, leading them in the right direction this is the way you should go this is the way you should walk and so the scripture we can look at is in Romans chapter 2 beginning in verse 14 um, the apostle Paul writing or well, the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul writing to us he says for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so what has happened here? Paul is just saying that you know, he's comparing the Jewish um uh, Not believers, kind of comparing Jewish unbelievers, actually, to Gentile believers. And so he's he's comparing, he's saying, you Jews, you guys have got the law. You know, you've got your Torah, I think they call it the Torah. um, And that's the law of Moses, and you've got that. A Gentile, who's a believer, doesn't have that because, you know, he comes out out of uh, a pagan background. So he doesn't have access to the law. But nevertheless, when he comes into the kingdom of God, what has happened is that God writes his law upon our hearts. Remember uh, the law in the Old Covenant and also in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says a new covenant uh, I will make with you in that I will write my law upon your hearts and upon your minds. I'll put my law into your hearts and into your minds. And so when we come into the kingdom of God, what God does is that written law that the Jews have, I'm talking about unbelieving Jews, um, is put into our hearts as the living law of God. God writes them there. And so the Gentile believer has in his heart, in his spirit, the law of God. And so what happens now is, remember because he's saying here, verse 15, he says, Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, so between their spirit, because the heart and the spirit here are interchangeable. He's talking about the spirit of man, for it is the spirit of man that is born again. And so he says, between themselves, between the spirit of man and the conscience, their thoughts will accuse them or excuse them. So whereas before, when an unbeliever was going to do something wrong, the conscience would say, don't do that. And they can ignore their conscience, and they, most of them do. But that's all they had. But now that believers come into the kingdom of God, talking about Gentile believers, and Jewish believers are the same, because God still writes their laws, His laws on the hearts of the Jewish believer. Now what happens is that both the spirit of, of the born-again believer and the conscience of the born-again believer will accuse that person, the born-again believer, if he chooses to do something against the law of God. Or they will excuse the person if he chooses to do something in the law of God. So they, you know, they'll be comfortable. Um, and so that's kind of what happens once we come into the kingdom of God. But who's making the decision? It is the will of man that is making the decision as to what he's going to do. Because the heart, your spirit will only ever want to do the perfect will of God. Your spirit never sins. It cannot sin. That's why John said it. He said he who is born of God in his epistles, he said he who is born of God cannot sin. Not tries not to sin. It's impossible for the one who is born of God to sin. Peter says it this way, he says because we have been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And so our spirits are born again of incorruptible seed. Incorruptible means exactly that. They cannot be corrupted. And so the spirit of the born-again believer cannot commit sin. It can be killed. We won't go down that road. That's another teaching entirely. But nevertheless, the spirit of the born-again believer cannot sin. It's impossible. Okay? And so the spirit of the born-again believer will only want to do the will of God. And so will always choose to do the will of God. Our conscience will only want to do the will of God and will always choose to do the will of God so those two together will always choose to do the will of God now if um, we are when we're born again our spirits are in full control voila what happens we'll never sin ever again why because our spirit cannot sin and will only ever want to do the will of God including our conscience. And so every Christian would have it made straight away. They would instantly be completely um, sinless in everything they think, say, and do, because the Spirit is in full control. And the Spirit, being in full control, will only ever do that which pleases God, never do anything else. But that's not the case, because we still have a free will. And so as an act of our free will, we decide whether we're we're going to now go with our spirit and our conscience, or we decide whether we're going to go with this other part of man called what? The flesh. But we read about it earlier, the will of the flesh. Well, the will of the flesh is to commit sin. And so let's just have a look at one scripture and then I'm going to close off today on, on this teaching because I don't want to get into too much depth about sin and, and, and walking in the world. But anyway, I want to just highlight the fact that even born-again believers on the earth have a free will. And here's the scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul writing, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish now when he's talking about the spirit here he's not talking about the holy spirit he's talking about the born again spirit for the holy spirit does not lust against my flesh and my flesh lusts against the holy spirit it is the the Um, conflict kind of that takes place within the born again believer because when we're born again our spirits only want to please God but our flesh is still there our flesh hasn't gone away look in the book of Romans the flesh is sinful in its very nature and so the flesh always wants to go against God and but the spirit always wants to please God and so here the two are in complete opposites they want to go in different directions and so Paul admonishes us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we have the choice. And that choice is based on the will of man. We have a choice based on our free will. Even as born again believers, we can choose to walk in the Spirit or we can choose to walk in the flesh. It's our choice. God does not force us into any direction. We make the choice. And so even the born again believer, their free will still reigns supreme in this life and so as, as born again believers our Lord encourages us to walk in the spirit because we are the spirit is where our life is that is the, our spirit has the nature of God our flesh still has the nature of the devil and so our flesh still wants to do things that are wrong our spirit now wants to do things that are right but it's the will of man the free will of man born again now who makes the decision I'm going to go this route I'm not going to go that route And that's where the will of man kicks in with regards to the born-again believer. But in all of this, the will of man still reigns supreme in this life. God never overrides the will of man. Our will reigns supreme. God has created us with their capacity and He does not allow uh, our will. Now, obviously in Satan's realm, things are different. Satan does um, take over even... That's why why people become demon-possessed. Because that demon gets a hold of them and their wills are no longer, they don't even have a free will anymore because they're completely possessed by Satan. But we don't want to go down that route today. But nevertheless, in this life, the will of man reigns supreme and God uh, defers to our free will. He always places the choice before us. We choose which way we're going to walk. Whether we're going to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. Our choice. I'm going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.